Hey guys, uh, we are um, we are live. Check it out. Um, another solid opening. Uh, to, good afternoon, guys. I got Greg Poole from Bulldog Illustrated and Dog Out West, also known as also Graham Coffee from DogSports.com. A lot of dogs we got going on. Greg is a uh, a good friend of mine who who kind of kicked me uh, kickstarted my little blogging career. And uh, and is a, a wealth of knowledge, a Blitnikoff vote voter, and uh, runs the Bulldog Illustrated website. But he's been blogging and talking, and, and been in this community of, of dog fans since 2008 when he started the Leather Helmet blog. Greg, thanks for joining thanks. us. How are you? Great to be here. We are. Uh, we're going to talk about a little nuance, uh, you know, offensive explosion of you know the the new era of college football offensive and the prolific offenses. I mean, we've, we've had uh, uh, Nicky Saban out there talking about it's the new way to go. He's not going to try to win, win uh, nine to six games anymore. He's going to, he's going to ex exploit the rules that have a uh, little bit then modified and he's going to get the uh, prolific runner passer to uh, and, and, uh, and, and Jalen hurts and all that. So Greg, Run us through this and, and your having watched this. I'm going to throw this word to you: evolution of <laughs> of, of athletics or you, of offense. You say that because you know that that's what got me researching this topic. But you guys probably remember a few years ago when we kept reading that UGA or Kirby specifically needed to join the modern age of football with his offense and. Uh, that um, that offense had un undergone an evolution in college football. The word kind of bothered me because I just didn't see it. I didn't see a slow change from one offensive scheme to another. Uh, as a matter of fact, it seemed to be almost sudden, at least in, D in the upper levels of D1, and I, I think that's true. But I started looking for the origins of this change, and, and, and thinking about it, I came across one thing, and that was the change from with the, of the illegal lineman downfield rule. It, it changed from one yard to three yards. That is, an offensive lineman on a pass play can now be three yards downfield when the pass is thrown. Always before, as a matter of fact, 2008 and before, it had been one yard. Uh, and to me, the key—that's the key to the whole thing. Yeah, I've got a—I've got a graph up right now that is, you know, I'm going to throw in some of my little nerd stats and analytics, and and Graham and I showed these to him, and it's like it's interesting to show these in a in a, in a linear scale as opposed to just a buttload of numbers on the screen because this kind of shows you what you're talking about this is my success rate of power this is filtered out by power five from 2001 to 2020 and this is the number this is overall offense in uh, all 65 teams in the power five their success rate on offense you can see that teams are hovering you know sub 40 percent offensive pass success rate and then just like you're like the right around the same time you're talking about greg it just shot up uh, and is continuing to rise all the way up to almost 45% of the of offensive plays are successful now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, here's what I think happened. You, you can't, it, 
Josh, you know, I, I looked, I've been looking for what two months to try to prove this <laughs> and, 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 and try to get you to help me find it. And you couldn't. So I knew if you couldn't find stats to prove this, that it, I wasn't going to well, find well, it. I, I think, I think we're here. I mean, these, okay. I think we really are. I mean, this, yeah, and, 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 I agree. I mean, here's the pa- here's now the past play. Same same data uh, collection data, and this is where you know in in 2002, you know, in the lowest we, we they were 37 and a half percent successful on pass plays, and and in 2013, they were 43 percent uh, of offensive pass. Now this is the entire offense. So imagine imagine the really good offenses. I mean, I didn't take the time to filter out some of these offenses because you know who they are. I mean, th- those are the ones that are setting this this or, or and everyone's with him, or you know, rising tide lifts all boats. And so, yes, I mean, here it is. It's a steady climb over the 20 years. Now, it is interesting that you, the evolution you say is is not much evolution as it is just maybe the the light switch of this of of the the downfield blocking rule. But and also, I'll show this one last one, and then we'll get actually get in some plays. And this is all right. If you give me a second here, this is the EPA. Everyone either hates the stat or doesn't know it or hate knows it and, and hates it anyway. But the EPA is, is basically a grade on how successful a play is. And it's based on uh, results of a play and down and distance and position on the field. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, it, and, and it's, and it's used to calculate is an, is an analytics thing, but you can still same upward trend and you can really see it in 2000. This is maybe your point, 2012, 2013. It's a huge increase on how a, uh, successful and efficient passing became in those uh, really uh, at that point there was a blip in 2005 but that is a that is a clear indicator that the passing offensive has not evolved it changed almost overnight okay let's so, say excuse me go ahead go on go ahead no i mean i, I was going to ask you you had referenced earlier the change from one yard to three yard in the ncaa rule book I was. You may have said it, and I might have missed it. But what year did that happen? That happened uh, in two thousand nine. Okay, because I yeah. mean, for me, the the offense that I most remember sort of taking advantage of this rule and like watching games on Saturday and just being like, some of these linemen are four to eight yards downfield was was twenty thirteen Auburn in uh, Malzahn's first year, and you know, I mean, that last couple touchdowns they scored against Alabama in that Iron Bowl, you know, the it was it was crazy. You know, you had linemen five, six yards downfield and the whole defense is biting on a run play. And all of a sudden, Nick Marshall would rear up and throw it right before crossing the line of scrimmage. Um, so hey, there, I mean, was, like, there was definitely a lineman downfield on that play. Yeah, 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 I'm pretty sure Saban <laughs> said as much at some point that that next offseason as he's one to do. But I guess, you know, my my curiosity uh, is. Oh, you know, I, I think you guys have some plays to show in here and stuff like that. But is there any of these sort of modern offenses over the last few years that you specifically think about that, that stand out on this rule? Or do you think it's just a general problem across college football? Yeah, well, I, I don't know it's a problem, but, uh, you know, I think uh, I think that. A defensive quarter no, and D.C. might feel differently, but continue. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, of course. But um uh, no, I think it's just kind of general across college football right now. Here's how I think it happened, and I certainly can't prove this. But when the rule came into effect, were were uh, was Nick Saban or anybody else that was, you know, had successful programs? Were they saying, 
oh, the rule changed. Uh, let's change everything we're doing and change our offense. And, and uh, <laughs> it's not going to happen. You know, it, so where does it change? It changed with, with smaller programs, with uh, coordinators who could install the program at schools as, a, as an equalizer. You know, it's something to let us play with the the the, the Georgias and the Alabamas. You know, right. so, but but then as that was successful, the you know the Auburns and the Georgias and Alabamas eventually adopted it because if you can beat me with inferior players, I can beat you as I was before. All I got to do is change my offensive coordinator. <laughs> Well, here well, we go. We, we've got I may have changed my head coach. <laughs> here's here's a, here's one of these plays that probably upset uh, the aforementioned uh, Nick Saban. Here we've got the 2013 Iron Bowl, uh, and and you highlighted this play, Greg. And you want to take us through this one? Okay, I'm going to have to get my glasses on. But right, well, it doesn't go to the. If you, I think it's the left guard. Yeah, right there. Watch him when. Uh, Marshall releases. There's the line. Watch where he is. Yeah, he's way down. Five, yeah. six yards. His foot his foot is on the line. There's no question about it. And that's all you can see. It may have been that his shoulders over too. But uh, Yeah, I may have had the right the wrong guy highlighted there. Cause yeah, well, I highlighted sixty seven, but yeah, it's the dude right there and he's way downfield. I highlighted the wrong guy. Yeah, you can see yeah. him there a yeah. full five yards down. Yeah, the guy on the left though is eligible. He can be there. The guy with the feet is the guy that's legal. Yeah, and his whole body is over that line. I mean, yeah. and and he's and it's like, and it, it I'm not gonna say it sprung this play, but it it definitely, and also the you know when like these guys are trained to and coached to like when this happens that it's not a pass play, and and then they they change their and it, so yeah it it, it totally like, that guy's they, they didn't need to worry about that guy because this was an illegal man downfield but yet mm -hmm. it, uh, and this is right before the kick six right yeah yeah all right and we've got um that's not the one let me carry on so here keep somebody say well so i guess here's here's another here's another uh, here's an earlier play and this is uh this is your old miss play greg uh and okay and this one's, and again, it's kind of interesting because these plays are reviewed because they're looking at the, they're looking, they're looking at if he's threw the ball uh, past the line of scrimmage. And, and it's funny. It's like, they're not, and I don't know if that's a reviewable play or not, but this is clearly the same situation. You can see her, see her, our cornerback or DB break towards yeah. the ball. Cause he's like, okay, I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry about this guy. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I, I do know for a fact that it's not reviewable illegal man downfield which it really should be because it's not very well called in the college game in the pros you see linemen stay closer to home i feel like but um well it's the one yeah. yard yeah yeah exactly well no i think it's three yards in the nfl now but the, is it no, it's, one, it's one yeah it's one and that's and that's again why have why has the uh, rpo taken over the nfl it's, well, it's it pretty, has it's to a certain extent. It's it's there. I'm not saying it's not there, but if if uh, if those guys had this three yard rule, they wouldn't run anything else. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess you know the 
I think you guys have this on the, the outline here a little bit, but it's like as, as a defense, how do you adjust to some of this stuff? Is this why you think we've seen kind of the proliferation of the star and, you know, yeah, like Iowa, Iowa State and the Big 12 with their drop eight defense has been kind of an anecdote to some of those sort of offensive schemes. This is exactly what I talk about because when, when Greg sent me this play, this is like, how do you defend this? You know, and it's like, you know, right here. I mean, this 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 uh, this lineman up is just taking out three guys. What, yeah. And, and it's like, how do you defend this? And it's like, why would you like you say, why would you not? I mean, that guy's way upfield taking out three guys that, and taking those guys out of the play that could help out cover that. That. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah, Greg, what would. So, you know, if, if we're willing to maybe say that we're not in a. a evolution of an offense more of a, of a, a dramatic change that that signified a new era as opposed yeah. to an evolution are we is, are the defenses evolving more in a traditional sense of growing and figuring out how to defend this and and has, and as Georgia uh, and Kirby and, and Lanning do we are we are, are we ahead of the game in terms of how to defend it yeah I think they are they're uh, we'll see this year won't we <laughs> um, See you game one, won't we? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But if you, they have changed their defenses for it in, in terms of personnel. If you remember Georgia's uh, uh, Mike linebacker extraordinaire, we were talking about this earlier, Josh. Uh, yeah, Roquan, Roquan. Roquan Smith. Why was he so effective in this this spread RPO era as a as a Mike linebacker? Well, he was fast. <laughs> And and it's a good tackler, good pass defender, but they played him. Where did they play him? Think back about this. Were they playing him three yards from a line of scrimmage? It was usually five or six. What does that do? That keeps the lineman off him. You know, that lineman can still only go out three yards. And if I'm right. playing at six, I gotta read when he stops. I know what's coming, you know. So um, yeah, that play in the Rose Bowl uh, late in that game to to keep you know to stop that drive and it wasn't I don't think it was a, a, a downfield blocking play but yeah that 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 new style linebacker I mean he flew down to the near side and took out that tunnel screen or that wide receiver screen mm-hmm. and really really save save the game I mean we don't we don't get to OT without without that if they convert that third down yeah, yeah. so that's how they're playing defense against it yeah and. and and I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, uh, pump you up here. And, and Bulldog Illustrated is is uh, has all the uh, press conferences from the entire athletic department. And one and I listen to them all the time. So if if you if please listen to them. But one of the coolest things I heard was is after one of the spring practices, it was just a little nugget that Kirby talked about. And everyone was asking about the DBs, and he said, you know, we're talking about who's gonna play cornerback and who's gonna play safety and all that. At that point, we were still we didn't have. Uh, uh, Kendrick had not enrolled, and and I think maybe Tyke Smith was. I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. But he talked about the inside linebacker, and it's like when you're a inside backer, you're a star. When you're a star, you're inside backer. I mean, that tells you right there. This is not your Lawrence Taylor style linebacker no. play. Then, yeah. Well, and I think you know. I mean, if you're looking at uh, a guy, and we've discussed this on the show before. Like if you're looking at a guy for Georgia's uh, defense in, in 2021 who has the potential to kind of have that sort of Roquan style impact that's moving sideline to sideline, making a lot of tackles, 
keeping, you know, four-yard plays from being eight and ten-yard plays. It's probably Tyke Smith, and he's not a linebacker, but that star kind of position functions much like that in a lot of situations, especially with a lot of the outside linebackers now playing with their hands in the dirt and kind of being that true edge position. Uh, that's the guy that is probably going to be freed up to make plays a lot of the time. Uh, so it's it's definitely just different within the last – four or five years from that time with, with Roquan. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm, I've got our DB tape that we got. So we've got some, some recruiting footage, but we're going to get to some of our, some of the guys that are, that we were going to depend on to, to cover some of these plays, but uh, gotcha. while that rolls, um, uh, you know, so, I mean, Lewis seen, is he going to be, is he the guy that's going to be that star or, or who, who's it? I mean, that's the key. Yeah, you think Tyke is going to be is is yeah. that is that is a dramatic change even from a Roquan body, uh, and and, mm-hmm. and and how we're going to do that? That's exciting. Well, it, it is, and I mean, I think a lot of that is the need for. I mean, don't get me wrong, Roquan was extremely fast, but there's just there's not many Roquan Smith types out there that are that big and and that quick. But it's like, you know, it, you got to have somebody with the speed to to cover all of these slot wide receivers and and all of these guys that are you know, kind of leaking out of the backfield and running backs and stuff like that. And it's like you I, – I think with Georgia in 2021, you'll see a lot more of, of what they call the money package internally, which is where they bring that sixth defensive back onto the field. And that's really where it broke down for Georgia in the Florida game last year. You know, it, it wasn't always the Stokes and the Campbells getting beaten by, you know, Pitts or – or some of those other big wide receivers they had, but it was the the running backs coming out of the backfield that that a Jermaine Johnson or a Nakobe Dean was struggling to cover 10, 15, 20 yards downfield. And so I think that's why you're going to see more and more some of these maybe three-man fronts with with six guys dropped back and, and a couple of linebackers, you know, kind of patrolling. But it's tough because in a way it is sort of killing the linebacker position and it's a disadvantage for Georgia because they've recruited that position so well. And it's just the amount of times you're going to see a traditional kind of Kirby smart three, four defense on the field yeah. is, is very few at this point. It's, it's as uh, evolution has killed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was an evolve or die, or <laughs> so. I mean, so I guess you know we, we you know we're we're not going to touch the elephant in the room of, of like the quarterback play, and it's interesting that we've sort of talked about okay, well, defensive because that's clearly where the the where one of the obviously for every ever action there's an equal equal opposite reaction, and that's we're excited because we do have a defensive uh, minded coach that can that it seems to be evolving and adapting, and I'm excited, you know. Uh, you know, in our spring pre or G day game with Senator Lutarski, Michael said, you know, we haven't seen our DBs uh, yet. that are going to play in 2021. And, uh, you know, he also spoke, spoke about leaving some roster spots available um, after the signing day, because he, he wants, he doesn't want to, he wants six to eight guys that can be out there making these plays. And he's, he's brought some guys in and he's recruited them. So, um, you know, it, it's exciting to, to know that, that Kirby's ahead of it, you know, need wide receivers. He's going to go get wide receivers, need more, you know, you know, linebackers that can, can play this. He goes and gets them. So I I think we're in good hands uh, from a defensive side of the ball. Well, and I think what's interesting and, you know, Josh, you may have some numbers that are different, but uh, SEC stat cat 
the website that uh, you know he does a really great job of, of getting up a lot of a lot of offensive scripts and a lot of breakdowns throughout the season. But if you look, uh, you know, last year for like the the yearly the yearly RPO play share was only nineteen point seven seven percent for Georgia. Uh, so it's like Georgia really has some of those concepts i'm sure in their playbook but mocking only installed 30 percent. that wasn't something they were doing a lot with coley so i mean like georgia really hasn't probably fully taken advantage of of some of the stuff with the rpo like they maybe could or should and i would expect to see that this year with with a daniels who has a little more experience in decision making we were talking about daniels and rpos uh, josh and i was before you got here graham and and, and uh uh, that um, a bowl game last year, I was looking for RPOs in that game too. And uh, it's very difficult sometimes to tell whether uh, he's, he, he's running a, um, some kind of play action pass or it's a pre-read, or it's an RPO and he pre-read it. And so he just sure. makes it a play action and throws. Um, he, he's very, um, decisive about those things and, it, and you can you can see it in his performance yeah these are some of these plays i've pulled over the last couple of years uh or actually 2019 and 2020 that were listed by StatCat as rpo and georgia didn't there was not a lot to choose from and that's why these some of these plays are ho-hum because but you know my theory is you know back in when mark Richton and uh mike bobo were we always sort of had the really traditional pro style drop back quarterback Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering, is that carried over into this era where we're not going to necessarily run these RPOs? Because like you said, uh, Greg, they're not running the, the prolific RPOs in the NFL. And this this keeps us um, sort of in the hunt for some of these more, you know, pro pro style uh, play players that, that want to come and play quarterback at Georgia. Is that I mean, is that is that a possibility that or is it just you go get the best guy you can and, and hopefully, you know, find plays and make it work for him? Yeah, I, I would assume it's possible, you know, but I, it just doesn't sound sound like a theory I would want to endorse. I think, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, well one thing I would say. No, one thing. One thing I would say though is like the the Philadelphia Eagles when they won the Super Bowl, I think in in seventeen, maybe eighteen. Uh, you know, they were using a lot of that RPO stuff, and they were sort of the first. Uh, NFL offense to really implement that on a, a large amount of their downs. And they, they wrote it to a Super Bowl. And then in one off season, the rest of the NFL caught up, you know, and it's like the, the, the defenses in at the next level are able to evolve and catch up to these patterns so much faster. It's like Chip Kelly had one year in the NFL put up a bunch of points. And after that, it was kind of over because everyone spent an off season figuring out how to defend them. In college, you know, you don't have that continuity on the roster. There's guys moving around all the time, and just the the athletes on defense are not as good as they are in, at at the pro level. And so, I don't know, you know, sort of when the the tipping point will happen. But it's like we've seen in the the Big Twelve, right? That used to be the league that we all made fun of for you know being basketball on grass and everyone you know putting up 70 points and having five hour games on saturday afternoon uh it was a pretty defensive dictated league last year and and you know there really wasn't a ton of those kind of traditional 
Texas Tech, Oklahoma type shootouts that you saw in the, the early 2010s and, and late 2000s. So, you know, I think the evolution kind of always happens and today it's RPO and in a decade, it'll be, it'll be something else when, when things start to catch up. But I do think, you know, kind of back to the original premise with the legal man downfield, if that's not enforced, uh, you know, it really is just, it's not fair at all for the defenses. And Mm -hmm. I think we've gotten to kind of that tipping point probably in college football, where hopefully that's a point of emphasis going into the next season because I mean, three three yards is liberal on its own, but when you let three become five, six, it's it's impossible to read as a, a linebacker or secondary player. The thing the thing to remember about enforcement is who calls it in the, in college. Uh, I forget which ref it is, but it's the the same ref that's responsible for a legal man downfield is responsible for the quarterback. Uh, being behind the line of scrimmage when he throws the ball. Tell me how that's possible. Yeah, yeah you got it. Yeah, if, you, if you're watching the quarterback behind the line of scrimmage, you are not watching three yards downfield. Well, and I mean, you know, in the NFL, they keep that referee behind the quarterback, you know, so that that guy can see everything. And in college, he's – He's over on the sideline. Well, they moved him in college. Because, oh, did they? Okay. Yeah, yeah, they moved him for safety reasons. Which which referee is it that uh, that that calls I, face mask on DeAndre Swift uh, in the SEC um, championship games? I'm just wondering that one because they didn't really do that one good either. But uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, well. That's uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, and let's let's be real. I mean, NFL refereeing is probably at a higher caliber too. Well, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, they're professionals, and yeah. the refs are. Yeah, aren't they? I mean, they are full. They are. Yeah, yeah, no, they're full time jobs. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. you know, because of COVID last year and them trying to keep referee assignments closer to home, you had a guy that's a real estate agent in Tuscaloosa calling like a a couple really crucial pass interference calls on, on Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell that kept drives alive. So uh, it's, it's definitely an issue. And the, the other thing too, though, is, I mean, there's the money there in the SEC to make those guys full-time professionals. The problem is that if they make them professionals, then like they may actually have to hold them accountable. They may actually have to like (laughs) trot them out for, uh, you know, some sort of answer to, to some of these calls that they make. And the thing that's, the most asinine in my opinion is just that we have review system in yeah. place, but there's all these things that have become unreviewable. And I think like, if it's, you know, if it's, it's like, uh, like, what is it? The, the, you know, it's like explicit content or indecent content or whatever. Like, you know, it, when you see it, <laughs> if you see something on a review and you know, it's wrong, it should be able to be changed. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's not sensical. All right. Well, I'm going to pivot to July 1, 2021, a day that will live in infamy. <laughs> uh, but it appears that college, I saw the tweets. I'm not going to try to tell you our original, but the, <clears throat> the college football sky did not fall today. And <clears throat> players can profit off their name, image, and likeness. I'm going to I'm going to start by one thing. And it's like, I think that it is, I'm not going to tell you it's a mountain out of a molehill, but I think it's going to dramatically change uh, more sports than football. I think football is 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 an economy of its own. Uh, a lot of these players will be able to make some 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 money and and improve their their uh, 
experience in college, whether it's just putting money in their pocket for gas or, or pizza, or if it's legitimate money. Look at that. <laughs> Thank you, my friend, FTMF. No, but I think I think the the, the women in college sports will absolutely do really well um, with being able to to you know whether it's the Olympic sports or whatever it is, whether it's just they're they're a pretty face or if they're just super talented at lacrosse or softball. I think there's going to be opp- opportunities for them. Um, Greg, what? <clears throat> How do you feel about name, image, and likeness in a nutshell? We're gonna wrap it up, so we, we could do a whole show on it, but everyone's heard enough. But I just wanted to get y'all's opinions about it. Hey, what can you feel? It's here. It's going to happen. There's no use to be against it. It's like being against the speed limit or something. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it is. So, <laughs> yeah, I did. I mean that's that's about all I have to say about it. I mean I do think that I think this whole this this patchwork of NIL laws is is crazy and won't work and is going to create all kinds of problems. So whenever Congress gets around to passing a federal law about the thing, it'll all kind of settle down. That's what I think about. It. No, I agree with that. It seems like states that don't have an NIL law or maybe at an advantage, the athletes in those states are probably at an advantage at this point over states that do. Um, I think Ohio has a law in place where like once you come to a contractual agreement, nothing can happen for two weeks or something like that. So if a kid catches the winning touchdown pass against, you know, Purdue or something, he can't make money off of that for, for a little while. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's like, look, let's not pretend like college football or Georgia football in and of itself is not a hundred million dollar industry that the NCAA as a whole college football as a whole is a, a mini billion dollar industry. If these guys are able to, to shoot some tweets out for some, some extra money or be on a billboard with a, you know, the local exterminator, I mean, like, I, I, you know, I was in Athens as a college kid and there's a ton of small local businesses there that would be so happy to, to partner with, with a, a UGA football player or another student athlete on campus. And so I think it's a good thing. And I think that, you know, the, I don't think it's hurting anybody. I'll put it that way. When this was first discussed, there was a lot of people that thought, you know, this is the, the death of college football. The thing that makes college football, college football is that, we're passionate, right? And the fans care. And so I don't think that's going to change this at all. We're, we're still capitalists, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a free market. And if they have value in that free market, then good on them. And I mean, I think what Josh said is spot on that it seems like at least here in the first, you know, 16, 12, however many hours it's been of this thing, uh, a lot of the athletes that are getting the biggest endorsements are, are outside of college football. There's, you know, some female gymnast at LSU that I'm pretty sure just got like a, a Olivia, giant modeling contract. Yeah, Olivia, so. Olivia Dunn. Yeah. Google it. <laughs> uh, no, uh, no, we're still looking for the official DB of uh, Dog Sports Live, are we not, Graham? We are. We are uh, currently in discussions with uh, some UGA football players to perhaps – endorse the show <laughs> and i'm still I mean, there's always there's always room for the ftmf movement to have an official uh player 
So <laughs> FTMF Industries definitely needs a, a pitch man. You, you you need to get Kirby in that. Oh, I'm, I'm, I, yeah, man, we're trying. I, I think he I think he would like it. Probably wouldn't wear it in public, but I think he would appreciate the spirit well, of it. Of it. <laughs> yeah, if he should, he's my, that's my coach. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right, guys, this has been awesome. Uh, Greg, I hope to we can do this again. I think you were just yeah. bring such great points. And and, uh, and please follow Greg at uh, GP. What's your Twitter? I got it on the screen. But uh, tell me, tell everybody your Twitter so you can get all your updates from Bulldog Illustrated. Gpool uh, underscore BI. Gpool underscore BI. Graham is at, at Dog Out West. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, our podcast. Please Click on uh, dogsports.com and bulldogillustrated.com. These are great, uh, all UGA, great content with writing and, and updates and blogs. Uh, and Greg Greg has the Daily Dog thread, which is uh, just you know, a great community of dog fans. And uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in and sharing our content. Graham, is there anything else you got for us today before we, we sign off? No, sir. Go dogs. All right. Go dogs. Thanks again, Greg. Thank, Thank you, you, Greg. Greg.